0: Welcome back, everyone. We are on episode three of Biff Bites. I'm your host, Jerry, joined as always by my co-host, Mike. How's it going, Mike?
1: It's going well, Jerry. I think we need to come up with some like morning drive time Nicknames. I'm thinking Jam, Jam and Jerry might be good. Mike, Mike,
0: but, Mike the Freak. I like it.
1: Uh, well, I was thinking Mikey Mike, but I think that was already used.
0: Already taken. In, yeah,
1: yeah. So I'll have to come up with something else. We'll, we'll
0: brainstorm that later. <laughs> All right. But now I'm
1: good to be back at Biff Bites. I'm excited about our guest today. Uh, this is our first guest in Biff Bites, so that's pretty cool. I
0: know, right? So. First of all, I just wanted to say we've been getting some great feedback about the show, so wanted to just thank all the listeners who have been writing in. It, it's been great. It's actually been funny, Mike. I don't know about you, but I've been getting when I've been talking to our Bryant students, I've been starting to get, "Hey, aren't you that guy from the podcast?" So, yeah.
1: podcast man, that's you. <laughs> yeah,
0: pilot, worst superhero ever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just uh, wanted to thank everyone who's uh, sent in all the kind words. Uh, Also, special thanks to uh, Rudy, who actually sent in a list of topics for us to cover in the future, uh, as well as a couple other students who have as well. And actually, our question of the day is uh, inspired by one of uh, Rudy's requests to cover charitable gifts. But yeah, as you said, Mike, we have an awesome guest. I'm really excited to have uh, Gary Wedge from New
1: Age Advisors on
2: the cast. Welcome, Gary. All
1: right. (laughs) The crowd goes wild outside the studio.
2: I'm glad I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me um, on episode three. Hey, I just want to know: Are you guys wearing matching sweaters?
0: We are. We are wearing we are. matching sweaters. We have our we have our recording sweaters that uh, that we, we it's it's <laughs> become tradition already. Important, you know. It is. It is. Uh, but yeah, Gary, thanks for coming on. Uh, I th- I thought you would be great to come on and give some perspective because when this episode comes out, uh, it's going to be about. One short month before the November exam takes place. Uh-huh. Yep. And Gary, I know you know the CFP exam all too well. Uh, you are one of our uh, f- uh, former students who successfully passed uh, the exam. You and I actually worked a lot together. Uh, we, we did talk a lot, go over test questions. Uh, go over concepts, and you know, I, I think we do, developed a good little friendship over over the uh, year uh, that you were studying.
2: For, for sure, absolutely. Um, couldn't, could, couldn't agree more. It was a long process, but it, uh, it was a good process because I learned a lot of things and, and, and formed some really good relationships. So,
0: Yeah, definitely. And, and I personally, I learned a lot from you, Gary, about just the, the perspective of the student, the perspective of taking the exam um you know what what you're thinking about what your mindset is and i just wanted to have you on the cast to share that cuz i think you have a lot of great advice for our, our students who are still going through the process
1: definitely yep yes uh sure
2: um you, you know you're right i mean um uh i, I did have a lot of things uh, run, running through my mind as i as i went through you know not just the curriculum uh at bryant uh which i think is is um you know great and and uh, moves very quickly but the, uh, the um, exam prep, the review, um, which, you know, for me was, was, was Brett Daco, and, and for others uh, on the call, they, they may or may not elect to, to use Brett's program. They, they may do something different, but that's really beside the point because we all have to face the same exam. And uh, there's a lot of challenges that, that come along with that as a student, especially if you've been practicing a while. I think that was an area that was really hard for me to move to move away from a little bit and put myself in the position of a student and not a practitioner. Because what we see in the real world and, you know, compared to what is being tested sometimes are, are two different things or we can put our, uh, you know, practitioner spin on things. And if you're not careful, that can take you, that can take you down a road you don't want to go.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, we're definitely going to get into all of that. But Before we get too deep, I want to warm us up, guys, with our uh, question of the episode. You two ready?
1: For sure. Bring it on, Jerry. (laughs) All
0: right. So, Mr. and Mrs. Owens, a lovely couple, uh, they want to make a gift to a private university. Their AGI is $300,000, and they own a variety of assets. Which of the following assets will produce the largest income tax deduction this year uh, a stock bought two years ago for $130,000 which is now worth $150,000 a painting bought five years ago for $50,000 now worth $150,000 uh, stock bought six years ago for 30000 now worth 150000 or finally stock bought two years ago for $180,000 now worth one hundred thousand.
2: Wow,
0: a lot going on there. I know, couple things going on. So, Gary, from from the student's point of view, you get this, uh, you get this question on the test. Uh, what's a, what's going through your head right away as when you see a question like
2: this? As with any question, the first thing I'm looking at is what is the concept, right? Before I yeah. even get into the question, mm-hmm. I'm looking for the concept. What is the board? testing me on, right? Is this an estate question? Is this a a tax planning question? So I want to find the concept. Then I want to say, okay, this is going to be an income tax question, right? we're talking about saving some taxes. So now I kind of know where the board wants my mind, right? And and now I'm looking at the question and I'm reading the question. This is key. Read the question. RTFQ. Question says, what's the largest income tax deduction, right? They don't want to know anything other than that. You shouldn't be focusing on any other aspect of this question other than what answer is going to produce the largest income tax deduction. So now I've identified the concept, and I've read the question, so I know clearly what they're asking me to do or asking me what to answer within the concept. Now I'm looking at my answer choices, Okay. And I got four, and usually you can whittle them down to two pretty, pretty easily. I always look for the painting one first. When a student goes through the curriculum and their review course, uh, they will spend some time on the painting concept because this is a use unrelated. So it didn't say that it was going to be, you know, put in a museum or, you know, donated the, the the art college at a university. So this is this is use unrelated. So it's going to have to be valued at basis. Okay. Yeah. So I, I know I know pretty much right away that that one now comes off the, the table. Okay. So now now I'm down to three.
0: I would say real quick, Gary, I would say whenever I see a painting in a question, that's a huge red flag for me because the CFP board loves to use the painting example uh, with these types of questions. Couldn't agree more.
2: And that's why I go to it first, because the board likes to use it as a trip up question. And if it doesn't say anything in there about going to a museum or, you know, donated to the, the art department, if, if that information is missing, it's an easy kill. You can scratch that right off. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, I think you're right. The painting
0: is easy to rule out because use versus not use. We'll come back to that a little later because I think that's an interesting topic that we can expand on a bit. Uh, but yes, definitely with the lost property, that's a big red flag. Um, you know, they... Are losing eighty thousand dollars on this stock already? If they donate it, all that's doing is locking in that loss, and it's not actually that great of a deal. Uh, especially the big, the big red flag for me is that the stock's now worth a hundred thousand. And even if you didn't know, I'm sort I'm so so on charities. Uh, is it the basis? Is it the fair market value? Uh, I don't really know. Even if you don't know, both the basis and the fair market value of option a is higher than the the value of the stock worth hundred thousand dollars. so even there you should be able to, to uh, eliminate uh, option D as just being a wrong answer. what's
1: what's your take Mike yeah I agree with that to uh, always be suspect of uh, of the loss property and as Gary said, the unrelated um, drives that down to just one choice. Uh, the basis with a cap at 50% of AGI. Um, I like this question f- from a CFP exam standpoint because there's a lot going on and you have to evaluate multiple types of uh, property real quickly. The first thing I would looked at in this question was the 300,000 AGI. Uh, so the top end is going to be uh, 50% of that if I don't have any cash, I, I scanned these answer choices very quickly to see if there's any cash involved because the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act increased the threshold for cash to 60% AGI, but we don't have any. So I'm, my top end possible here is going to be 50% AGI, and then I would dive in and take apart these answers just as you guys have on those the first couple.
0: Right. Yeah. Real quick on that point. So remember, folks, when you're when you're seeing charitable donation questions, cash is king. Cash gets the added benefit because it's cold, hard cash. You can deduct up to 60% of AGI versus assets, which is a max of 50% of
2: AGI. Yeah, and I think the other, you know, thing to watch out for on these questions, um, because not as apparent in this one, just with the way it's worded and the the actual numbers we're using, but you you have to remember that when you're donating stock or if the client's donating stock, they always reserve the right to to do so at basis, and you can't forget that, okay? If you you go right for the AGI uh, exclusion, uh, you, you may miss it because it, it may be a better deal for the client to uh, make that donation uh, at basis, and that's exactly you know what's happening here in this question. Because when we look at answer A, and you're like, hmm, you know, I, I if I donate that stock, uh, you, you know, I uh, at basis, uh, I'm going to be able to I'm going to be able to have a, a full um, a full deduction. Um, of uh, of one hundred thirty thousand dollars on that, whereas if I go down to the uh, the uh, answer C there, uh, the, the stock I bought six years ago, that's ninety thousand, which is pretty nice, but it's not one hundred thirty. But you had to go at basis on answer one to, to to make that work out. Right. Yeah,
0: having it having it at the basis uh, of one hundred thirty thousand uh, keeps it under the one hundred fifty thousand dollar cap. Because remember. Their AGI is three hundred thousand. Fifty percent of that is one hundred and fifty thousand. So, that right there is our hard cap starting point. Um, no matter what, our answer is not going to be higher than one hundred and fifty thousand. And I think that's
2: you know just to play on what Mike said. You know, it's, there's a lot going on in these types of questions. And so, as a student, a recent student, you know, I looked for the concept, and then I looked for you know the the what are they asking within that concept. And then I went into the answers, and then you're just you're not done because now you got to think about these rules, you got to think about these limitations, and you got just over two minutes to do it, folks. So you really, if this is an area that you find is a struggle in your studies, you need to commit some time to this. I can't promise you that this question will show up on your exam, but it could. And it could show up more than once. And so you have to be prepared to deal with it.
1: Yeah, this is those are good points. And I think this is a good illustration of a topic like so many in income tax and, and estate planning is as, as we study, we want to master the basics first. What are my big picture elements that go on with, with charitable giving? So we want to know about the 50%. We want to know about the 30%. For uh, intangibles, Um, just some of those basic rules uh, and not worry about every little exception and and nuance that's contained in the code. Yeah. Can
0: you actually speak on that for a second, Mike? So I think we kind of went over that quickly. And I think students who haven't really got to this part of their studies yet might have missed it. Um, Why is uh, the stock bought 6 years ago for 30,000 now worth 150,000 why is that not the correct answer compared to uh, the correct answer which is option a stock bought 2 years ago for 130,000 now worth 150,000
1: sure and and that relates uh, to the point that Gary just made that there's a choice when when we're donating appreciated Uh, long-term capital gain property, then the donor has the choice to value that property at fair market value, with the cap then being for the deduction 30% of AGI. And they, if they make the choice to value the property at basis, then the cap to the AGI is 50%. Right. So there's two limits
0: going on here, and I feel this is where students get confused all the time. The 50% of AGI is your hard overall cap. You know, the most you can deduct is 50% of your AGI. Now, for this specific property, this stock, if we were going to do the fair market value, the cap is 30% of our AGI for this specific stock.
1: If they choose uh, fair market value. Mm -hmm. Correct.
0: If they choose fair market value with the alternative, as Gary pointed out, being if they don't want to choose fair market value, they can instead choose the basis, which most people end up doing. If the basis ends up being higher than the fair market value or 30% of the fair market value, um, which in this case uh, they would have only got a $90,000 deduction if they had gone for 30% of AGI compared to the $130,000 deduction by choosing the basis
1: option. Exactly. That, and that's why it's such a good question because you had to go one more layer to, to, to determine, well, I'm really better off using basis on this one and taking that 50% AGI. So we're looking at how is the property valued? How's that impact the cap on the AGI?
2: So here comes the test tip, Jerry. Let's hear it, Gary. What is it? All right, students, take your pencils out. Here's, I don't want to say it's a shortcut, but this will help you. As soon as you see the long-term capital gains property, that's usually going to be stock. doesn't have to be, but it's usually going to be stock. Do yourself a favor and write down both the AGI and the basis for those answers. So you'll see what you can deduct under AGI, and you'll see what you can deduct under basis, okay? Otherwise, it gets really easy to go automatically to AGI when basis would have been the, the better play, which is clearly the illustration here, and I would go so far as to say that's really what the, the board is testing you here. They're testing you to see if you recognize that basis not only can be used, but should be used in this example.
0: Now, before we move on for this, I just want to go down kind of uh, alternate reality with this question because it's a variation on this question that we see a lot. Let's say instead of uh, gifting it to their university, Mr. and Mrs. Owens instead want to gift it to the Museum of Fine Arts what would be the better option in that case if they decide to make this gift to a museum instead of a
1: university well now i think aren't we not uh, talking about use related
0: right we are
1: and and use-related is going to have the same uh, options that um, actually the long-term capital gain property would have. And that would be 30% using fair market value. Uh, that would be the cap on the AGI uh, or 50% using basis. So it changes the game here. Right. And
0: that that painting all of a sudden now becomes a... Somewhat more valid answer, uh, because a painting now is getting get is going to be used by the museum, whereas the university university is probably just going to take that painting and sell it. So at most you can get is just the basis for the painting, uh, because the university is just going to sell it. But if it instead goes to a museum. Now you have a lot more options with that painting since they can choose to display the painting and actually use it for its actual
2: value. Yep, for sure. I think that's, uh, again, you know, when you see these questions, you know, you're going to see almost always there's the, there's the painting answer. And really it's just, a, it's a quick exercise in, Hey, is this use related or it's not? And I'll tell you, if you don't see it on the exam, you will see it in your, in your prep materials. And they'll say it's donate donated to a university like Jerry just pointed, And that's not good enough. Okay. It would have to say the art department and the university. Okay. If it just says university, to Jerry's point, they, they could just end up selling it at that point it'd be valued at basis. Yeah.
0: And sometimes you might get an extra mean one. I've seen some real tricky ones like uh, donating antique furniture to a retirement home. Uh, when, he, <laughs> when he got into that, it's just like, well, are they going to use it? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe they're going to sell the antique furniture. So it ended up being with that question. Uh, it was not use related because... The retirement home is probably not going to put like an anti-cuckoo clock in their waiting room or anything like that, like a twenty thousand dollar
1: cuckoo clock. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't get that one. There is one more wrinkle in this one though that I thought was uh interesting related um to that stock purchased uh at 180 and now valued at hundred thousand Um normally the default, like you guys said straight up was um sell it and take the loss and, and do something else and, and that proves to be the better choice here one could do this though they could they could sell that get their 100,000 give the 100,000 to the university take a charitable deduction of 60% of that 100,000 and then claim a loss of 80,000 uh, a long-term capital loss But then they'd have to nibble away at that at no more than three thousand dollars a year, (laughs) Uh, right? And it's you know it's going to take them forever to recover that. So the best choice would be the one that we uh, we all three came came down to. Yeah, that's great advice. And the the other thing with this was um, at the very end of the question, it says produce the largest deduction this year. So if I had some way to carry over these losses over the the next um you, you know 10 15 years, not gonna count in this question because we were only in analyzing this year
2: yeah that's I was gonna I was gonna actually point that out to you Mike and then you, you came back around and and, and, and got that you, you know um yeah basically answer D only has a a chance um, of, of of being. Uh, possible if if you're gonna if the question is stated in such a way where carry forward is is gonna be an option. But even then, you know, there's that whole time value in there and there's almost always just a better answer than than selling something at a loss and, and just carrying it forward forever. <laughs>
0: Good stuff. All right, Gary. So now let's get into the the meat and potatoes of why we had you on today, uh, Gary. You you ended up taking the exam a total of three times. I so I feel you have some great insight on not just what works to help you pass the exam, but also what doesn't work. And I, I was hoping you could you know speak to that a little bit and share some advice with our students about you know what you learned from your first two attempts, you know, what your big takeaways were and what you changed in order to be successful in that third attempt on
2: these. Sure. Well, I, I think it's a lot of things. And I think for most people that have had to retake the exam more than, you know, once or twice, uh, they would agree. This is, it's kind of a series of things. I think, I think the first time I took the exam, I, I wasn't ready. So I would start by, letting students know right up front that if you feel for any reason that you're just not going to be where you think you need to be on exam day, uh, then you need to be aware of what the CFB board's policy is for uh, canceling your enrollment. And those rules are, are posted on their website. So do look them up if you feel like you kind of need to bail on this because I wouldn't encourage anybody to go in unprepared. This is not an exam that you can go into without being on top of your game. So rule number one, make sure you're ready for the exam. I don't feel like I was ready. I made it through the, the education component. I did well on the capstone, and I did have, um, I did have some time uh, for the review, but I didn't have as much as I would like. And in hindsight, because uh, I finished capstone in, in May, uh, and then I sat for the July exam. In hindsight, I would have waited for the November exam. And there's no, there's no harm or foul in, in, in waiting uh, to, to do to the later. Yeah, and you, and you finished in, like, late May, too, if I remember. I did. That. Well, I, I finished the capstone on about May 13th. So, I mean, there was some time. But I think, you know, I moved through the education component pretty, pretty quickly. I put in a lot of study and I was probably ready for, I probably should have had a little bit of a break in between the completion of my education and the start of my review, okay? I, I think I could have benefited from a little a little break, just, you know, a couple of weeks maybe, just to kind of, you know, reorganize, but no, I, I went right from the education right into the into the exam prep. And, and it was, it was a real grind. And, you know, some people can do that. Uh, others can't, if you, if you're a student that thinks, Hey, I'm not that way either. That, that, that doesn't work for me. Then, then just be cognizant of that.
0: Yeah. That's, that's a big conversation I have with a lot of my students, especially those who finish the capstone on a little bit of the later end of the, uh, the time frame. And it's really something you have, you can only answer for yourself, Uh, I know there's a lot of pressure on students. If I had a nickel every time I heard my boss really wants me to take the exam in X month, you know, I could retire by now. I I know there's, (laughs) there's lots of pressures out there. You know, you want to jumpstart your career. You want to get this designation. You've also been going through the education content for 10 months to a year leading up to this point, and you're just sick of it, and you just want to be done with it. I get all of that but you don't want to rush into this exam
1: for sure. Yeah, I agree. I get real nervous when I have a student that once we get inside, say 12 weeks to the exam window and they're still working on the capstone, it makes me really, really nervous because they start to cut corners on getting prepped to go to live review. And that's not a good thing.
2: Yeah, I think, um, I think you got to have about a ninety-day window there, folks. That's twelve weeks, you, you know. And if you're if you vote for a review, uh, if you've only got eight or ten weeks because you you ran over on your capstone or m- maybe you fell a little bit behind just during the ed- the education component and, and and you're not quite on target and, and now you've only got eight or ten weeks. I know the. The thought is, eh, I'm close enough, and I'll just, I'll, I'll really buckle down. But sometimes there's just no substitute for, for time. It's just, it's just a time mm-hmm. issue, folks. It's, you, you have to have time to learn and practice and let things sink in and have time to think about what you're doing. And that's hard to get all that to come together in six, seven, eight, nine weeks. You, you, you need that. Full twelve weeks, I think, to, to put yourself in the best position to pass on on your first attempt. I agree. The other thing I probably learned to uh, you know about that was, uh, you know, I took the I took the um, the test in in the July cycle, and here's how bad things can go for a student who's not prepared, and that is, and, and Jerry, you'll remember this. The July cycle not long ago, the CFP board, they put out an exam uh, that was just loaded with the calculator questions, okay? Yes. And for those of us that got that exam, and I I was one of them, it just goes to show how well you need to know the material, okay? In a lot of cases, you see a question once, maybe twice, and in some cases, you may not see it at all. But the board reserves the right to just hammer you on a given topic. And it can be the financial calculator. It could be a state. Okay. So you really have to be prepared for a tough exam because it can, and in my case, did happen. So I went in a little little unprepared in, in that July cycle. And on top of that, I got a really tough exam. In fact, I think of all the other students that I talked with who got that exam, I personally didn't talk to any one of them that passed. Jerry, maybe you talked to mm-hmm. some of them that passed. But anybody that I talked to, and I made my rounds, and, and not just with, with, with Bryant students, but I talked with people who, who went through other programs and, and had that exam on exam day. And I didn't talk to anybody, you know, that passed that. And I don't want to suggest that the CFP board put out a stinker, Right. I just think they put out a tough exam that you really had to be prepared for.
0: Yeah, I, I do remember that. I Because I remember being shocked when you told me that
2: you failed the second time.
0: Um, because if I had had to bet on any student of passing, it, it would have been you for that exam, Gary. Because, you know, usually, Mike, I think you can back me up on this. Usually the, the biggest determiner of success with the exam is putting in the work. And, you know, when I see students... You know, putting in putting in the work, doing the readings, sending me emails, asking me questions, you know, really showing that they care about this material, showing that they care about their success, knowing that they want to do well. Those are the students that almost always pass, uh, in, in my perspective. It's the students who tell me, oh, yeah, I did good on the Series 7. Oh, yeah, I've been practicing for 15 years. I don't really need to study. Oh, yeah, like I, I'm a good test taker. Those are the students that I worry the most about. And, Gary, you and I, I think we talked daily for months leading up to the We exam. probably
2: did. And, um, and I think, you know, I would encourage – students of Bryant um, who are going through their material and especially if they're going to do a uh, exam prep through, uh, you know, through Brett Danko, through Bryant, that that you and Mike and and some of the others there are really good resources for this stuff and you're probably underutilized, although I made you earn your paycheck.
1: Yeah,
2: (laughs) Yeah. it's uh, you know, you guys are the experts with respect to the educational, you know, content, because for those of us that have practiced for a long time, uh, you know, we we've seen some things. We've got battle scars on our backs to prove it. And so our questions that we have are probably a little bit deeper than maybe somebody who's just new to the industry or or fresh out of college because they, they're necessarily limited in their experience. So they're going to think in a very kind of a one-dimensional uh, frame of mind, whereas a practitioner who's been at it for a while is going to see things through a lot of different lenses, and it can really it can really take you off. It can take you out of your testing mindset. And part of what you did for me, Jerry, was help to keep me in the zone, Uh you know, because this, this really this really is a marathon. And to your point, you know, the first time I took the test is when I got the, the calculator question and then I then I took the test again that November. And what I'm trying to illustrate to the students here is the domino effect. Okay? This just doesn't get any better <laughs> when things aren't going right. But things weren't going right for the from the very beginning. But I pressed on and it was a little foolish. So because I raced into July I was unprepared. And then on top of that, I got a difficult exam and I didn't I didn't pass. So what did I do? I immediately prepped for November. I shouldn't have hmm. done that. I should have done that. I should have taken November off. Should have sat in, in March, but I didn't. So you can see what's happening here. I took a test in July that I shouldn't have taken, and because I took it, I didn't I wasn't successful. And then I should have waited till March, but I didn't. So I took it in November, and guess what? I failed again. <laughs> So at that (laughs) point, I'm like, okay, it was me fighting the exam at this point, Jerry. Right. It wasn't me not knowing the concepts.
0: Right. Exactly. And that's why in November, I was so shocked because, you know, yes, you didn't really have a lot of time for July. That's understandable. Um, you, You decided to get back on the horse and that's great. We spent a lot of time working it over. And even though you put in lots and lots of time, you're a very smart individual. You get the concepts um you just you start getting burnout at that
2: point you do you do i was working against me more than the exam was working against me and it took a while for me to figure it out and i talked with another student who had who had taken the exam multiple times um and he really helped give me some guidance on some of these things and i i'm going to paraphrase one of the things he said to me was hey you know when you get, as soon as you get to the point where you know you, you stop fighting the exam, and you start thinking to yourself, "What can I do to be better at you know whatever area of the exam that that might be a struggle," you will your growth and your preparation for the exam uh, you will grow so much once you kind of let go of the fact that the exam is what it is. It's long. It's a grind. It's it's not easy. But you're not going to change that. So once you accept that and just focus on how can I get better, that's where real progress is made. And that's what I did when I prepped for my third attempt.
0: Yep. And you actually took a cycle off between
2: November and November. I did. Because I realized then that I was working against myself. It was was Gary against Gary. It really, the exam was not really the the issue. And in fact, in November, I, I felt like I was probably very close to passing. I probably was. But it, yes. it, it didn't. It didn't matter. I was just. I had too many things that I was fighting myself uh, on, and I needed to take a break in order to kind of heal from all that. And when I came back in the in the in the, um, in, the uh, in the July cycle uh, of the following year, I was much more prepared. But I put in just as much time, maybe more than I did on the previous cycles. You and I stayed in contact, right? And and, and I was, you know, I participated in the forums and the boards and I asked questions and it's a very active process. You can't be, can't be lazy about it, folks. You got to want this. And then once you make the commitment to want it, you got to go get it.
0: And I think that also speaks to kind of the perseverance needed, uh, because I do speak to a lot of uh, students and it's really disheartening when, I don't know if it's just, it's kind of programmed into them or what they have their expectations off, but A lot of students will take this exam, and if they're not successful their first time, they're very, very defeated, and some of them just give up entirely. And it's really heartbreaking to see someone put you know, 10 months, a year, 14 months of their life into something and not get it on the first try and
2: just give up completely. So here's my thought on that. Mike, maybe you've got an idea on this too, but I think for younger people coming into the business, the industry... And they haven't had had the experience, and they're they're fresh out of college, so they're kind of in this um they're in this rhythm right of studying and, and taking exams. They're kind of they're kind of still in that wheelhouse. Uh, even if they've been out for even a year or two, they still kind of can get back into things, you know, pretty pretty quickly. And so they feel like if they're not immediately successful, uh, then um then they did something wrong or this isn't worth pursuing. I'm gonna tell you this. For the younger folks that may be on this podcast, if you're coming into this business with no experience and 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 you're concerned about defeat <laughs> and um, you know, not having immediate success, you may want to rethink your career. This is one of the hardest professions in the business okay of all businesses because of just the structure of it you know you have to find clients right you have to be smart you have to you have to know what you're doing you're dealing with people's money and their lives and their planning it's not an easy job okay it takes a lot of time and you, and you go through periods of time where you lose more than you win uh, and this is just one of those. The CFP exam is just one of those times where you might lose for a little bit before you win. But to to, to Jerry's point, with perseverance, right, um, you will win.
1: I I agree with that. I've been telling my students for 13 years now that this, passing this exam is as much about discipline uh, and and perseverance and just intestinal fortitude to keep going as it is about academics. And those who pass figure out how to manage the time and stay dedicated to their study plan. And it's recognizing that coming off of of an exam cycle in which we didn't pass, just verbalizing the things that could have been done better is half of the battle uh, to get back in there and and correct those patterns for a second or or third take. And that's what you did, Gary. And, and, but that's the big challenge for anyone. It's not going to get any easier, like you said, but what we can do is manage our time better so that we put in the work like Jerry's been talking about.
0: So uh, with all that's been said, I think it's also very important to talk about past bias. We, we were just talking a little bit ago about the mindset of taking the test, being okay with not passing, that a lot of people don't fail. And I think that is something that does not get said enough about the CFP exam. So many people go into this exam thinking it's another FINRA exam, like the Series 7 or the 63, and where like 80% of people pass it on their first time And if you, if you fail it, you're an absolute failure. And that's just not the case. I feel not enough gets said about the number of people that really have to take this exam multiple times.
1: Yeah, I agree with, with that. And that, that adds to that feeling of being defeated or deflated. Like Gary was talking about, if you read about all this, I passed and, you know, it's the greatest thing in the world and. Um, and you start to beat yourself up even more as, as you read that, but you're right. I mean, I, I, off the top of my head, I want to say the highest pass rate ever was maybe 70 or, or thereabouts, but it's often closer to 60, yeah. which means that's about 40% that didn't pass. And the, and the pass rate for second and third time exam takers is even lower. So you have to be aware of that. Right, lots and lots of people
0: don't pass it their first or even second time, and that's totally fine and Gary here is living proof that you know taking it three times is no is not a not any shame, not any big deal, you know sometimes it's three times a charm,
2: yeah, really uh at the end of the day folks you you just have to want this, and look, I mean. I, since I passed the exam, and even before the exam, I, I now talk with a, a lot of students privately, um, and, and they come and go on the CFP board forum. Uh, they, they inquire to me all the time, um, you, you know, kind of what my thoughts are about being successful because I think they know that, you know, with, uh, with repetitive test taking comes some experience. And, you, you know, the statistics are great and, and, and all that as far as the exam is concerned, But the reality is, you know, my thought is, uh, you know, the second and third time, we we know the second or third time passer, you know, tends to pass at a lower rate than even first-timers. But I I think that just depends on the individual. There's a lot of people, to Jerry's point earlier, they they just get burned out and they just say, you know what, forget it. You know, I'm just, I'm not going to, this is too hard. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to continue to pursue this. And so you really wonder if on that second or third attempt, you know you're you're really seeing their best effort okay i think for those that have to take it a second or a third time but remain committed to to the study process and diligent you know you can you can you you can ignore all that because you're going you're going to pass okay you're going to pass because you put in the time and effort and you remain diligent so i don't think those statistics tell the whole story is what i'm getting at
0: yeah. And I also want to talk about you mentioned the forums, the pass bias on the forum, because I we talked a lot about this back in the day, Gary. I remember I remember you getting kind of down on yourself because, you know, you would look at the CFP board forum right after the exam took place and you would just see thread after thread after thread of I passed. I passed. I'm so excited. I passed. I passed. I passed like thread after thread of just people uh, congratulating themselves and. You know, that's great for those people. They worked hard. They definitely want to show it off. But I think if you weren't one of the people who've passed and, and you didn't get that, uh, that pass when you hit submit on the exam, not to take that personally. Because like we talked about a lot, Gary, no one's rushing to the CFP board to say I failed.
2: <laughs> no. Or to say that they've taken a third or fourth time. But I will tell you this, students on the call today. I've had so many. People, just since I have passed the exam, reach out to me privately and say, Hey Gary, this is my third or fourth attempt. And you know what? You just never see those threads in the forum because to Jerry's point, they're just people aren't running out to, to to air that laundry. But I want everybody to know that they are very much among us, and you may be one of them. I was and it's okay because it worked out in the end because I remained committed to the process. And if you do that, you will pass. It might take you the – you might get it the first time. You might you might get it the second time. You might get it the third. I don't personally know anybody that's taken it five times, but I've talked with several people that have taken it four times, and they pass.
1: Now, nobody yeah. wants to have to go
2: through this four times. But the point is, regardless of how many times you have to go through it, if you remain diligent, you will, you will be successful. Yeah,
0: I think, I think you mentioned that to me, Gary, that uh, you were one of the few people who posted on the forum, hey, I just want to be honest, I failed, here's what I did. And I think you, you told me that you got a bunch of people messaging you just saying, you know, what a relief it was seeing someone actually get out there and, you know not be embarrassed and, and put it out there and say, yeah, this is something that happens. It, it, it's okay. You know, here's how we try and be better.
2: Yeah. You know, the other big, interesting thing with that too, Jerry has been, um, and for those of you that are, are contemplating doing a, uh, a, a an exam preparation course with, with specifically Brett Daco because Brett talks about this in um, his training and that is, you know, um, you know, Mr. MBA and CPA and, you know, all, that whole group. Right. And it's been very interesting how um, privately those folks have come to me and said, "Hey, I'm I'm on my third I'm on my third shot here." So I, I always share with people, like I mean, I, I'm mid career, okay? I'm mid career in this business. Uh, my undergrad is in economics out of Michigan State University, Big Ten college, yeah, the whole deal, right? And um, I'm an RIA, own my own practice, have for years okay, have all the licenses, I I don't have a a FINRA affiliation anymore, but back in the day, I did, so I've taken all those exams, okay, I know what what those are all about, and so I've been around, and I'm very experienced, and it took me three times to get through it, and so we hear sometimes people say, oh, I'm I'm all set, I got an MBA, or I'm I'm a JD, I will tell you, I have several of those folks private messaging me now, hey, I'm a JD, I'm an MBA, taking this thing twice, I can't get past it, that doesn't doesn't matter that you're an MBA or a JD, okay? What matters is committing to the process and giving it your all. And I'm, I'm convinced that if you do that, you're gonna pass. Yeah,
0: and that also speaks, I wanted to mention, I don't think we've talked about it yet, but the CFP Board Forum is a great resource for networking with other students. Anyone listening who is, planning on getting their CFP. If you have not already, I would highly recommend you go and make a profile on the CFP board forum because it's a great resource the CFP board puts out for students to kind of network with people who, you know, pass like Gary did or who are still in the process or, you know, have been in the industry for years and just like helping people out. You know, there's a lot of great stuff. On the forum, you just got to be careful of that kind of pass bias we talked about earlier. You know, keep in mind the people who are posting might not necessarily be representative of the CFP board students as a whole.
2: For sure.
1: Yeah, and be and be careful about taking any one person's advice as the gospel uh, to to passing this because we have to wrap this around our best practices for how we learn. How we study, how we read, and not just say, oh, well, so and so said all they did was practice questions and they passed. That alone is very dangerous advice because we don't know their baseline. We don't know how many times they've taken it. We don't know what else they've studied in their career. We don't know how long they've been in the business. There might have been such a huge baseline to start with that really all they did need was some practice questions, but that's not the case with most of us that step into that exam. So be very, very careful uh, thinking you've found the holy grail in there in that form, but (laughs) yet take the best of what you hear that, you know, can work with your style and the, and the time periods that, uh, are best at studying at, is it two hours at a time, three, four, all of that's got to come from you and then manage it. Yeah.
0: I would say, use the CFP board forum as a resource to get lots and lots of opinions and then filter it out from there. Don't just find one person and say, okay, this is who I'm going with.
2: Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. In fact, uh, I've been on the board forums for well years now, Jerry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Interesting because you know, folks a lot of people will come into that forum and, and they're they're just going to come and go like Monday afternoon. Right. You know, that's just what they're going to do. But I think you'll find if you spend some time in there, there's a couple old birds in there, um, you know, myself included. You know, Rob's a big resource there. Rob and I are posting in there all the time, and you know, Rob's relatively new to financial services, and he's on the path to CFP certification, so he's passed the exam, but uh, he's still wrapping up his his experience. Um, you know, and 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 Rob took it, the exam twice, and and um, and he went through Dalton both times, and so everybody's to, to Mike's point, everybody's walk is just different. I mean. This idea that if you if you take you know Brett's class or, or Zahn's class or Dalton, that those are the holy grail, it's not. Those are all quality programs, and I think the underlying you know concept there is that it's it's probably advantageous for you to enroll in something that's quality to help move you through this process. But to Jerry's point, you use the board because there's a few. Uh, of us out there that, that uh, have passed the exam after multiple attempts. We've got a lot of years of experience. We, we run our own practices. Uh, we manage our clients. We manage investments. We do planning. And we can really, you know, shed some light on what are otherwise sometimes kind of gray areas for somebody who's maybe, you know, new to the business or new to the path of pursuing CFP certification. Definitely.
0: Uh, Oh, and also one more point I just wanted to make about the forum before we start to wrap up here is uh, careful with so a lot of people who have recently passed the exam kind of use the CFP board forum as a sort of yard sale almost and uh, use it to sell off a lot of their study materials they had. And you can find a lot of great stuff in there. You can definitely find some gems and diamonds in the rough there, but you got to be really careful because keep in mind the CFP exams constantly changing. Uh, And especially during certain time frames, like with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act and that big change, and then for actually November exam with the introduction of the fiduciary rules, um, a lot of that information tends to go out of date fairly quickly. So uh, if you are going to be looking for exam prep materials and uh, getting some resources on there and buying someone's used study materials Just make sure, you know, buyer beware, make sure that what you're buying is actually up to date and will actually help you and not hurt you when you take the exam. Good point.
2: Yeah, quick comment on that. Actually, Jerry, um, you know, here again, I'm amazed when I see these fire sales because look, students, you've already put in a lot of investment of money and time uh, to get to, to a point where you're ready to pursue, you know, taking the exam. Why would you compromise your potential success with with outdated materials or materials that aren't um, fully up to uh, the latest, um, you know, laws and rules and regulations? That's point number one. Point number two is, This is not, CFP certification and the role of being a certified financial planner is not something you achieve and then sell books and forget about it and go back to, I don't know, selling variable annuities. Okay, that's not what we're doing here. I kept my books. Why did I keep my books? Why would I do that? Because you know what? Even after all the years that I've practiced, sometimes I'm not clear on something and those books are fine for me to go back and, and refresh on a concept because at that point, I I don't need the numbers to necessarily be, you know, accurate, right? But I need to revisit a concept. Like a week ago, I had somebody come in with a raw 457. I've been practicing. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I've been practicing. <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen that like twice. <laughs> yeah. OK, yeah, I'm not ashamed to admit that I went and picked up my, you know, book from Bryant, you know, and, and brushed up on that because there's there's sometimes there's something that comes across your office or desk that you just you don't see it enough to stay super proficient at it. OK, and you have to you have to refer. And these are great
1: reference books. So I would encourage you just keep them. <laughs> I agree. I use mine every day. <laughs>
0: awesome this has been a blast uh gary thank you again for coming on it thank great you great having you on yeah, yeah it's great catching up with you great catching up great uh, having you here and thanks so much for sharing all your sure adventures. i'd love to do it again Yeah, definitely. Definitely. We'll have you on, uh, you know, maybe, uh, we can get some listener feedback of maybe some questions that Mike and I didn't even think to ask you that, you know, might be burning on the tips of some students' tongues and, uh, we can do a follow-up for, uh, for one of the next exam cycles. Sure. And in the
2: meantime, they can find me on the forums. Definitely. Good, yeah. Point. You
0: are all over those forums Before we go. I just wanted to come out with some quick announcements. We got go subscribe to our YouTube page at uh Boston Institute of finance on YouTube. We've been really kicking up the gear on releasing more calculator videos and tutorial videos on there. I think we're actually this week. We're coming out with an amortization calculator video, which has been something students have been asking a lot for basically how do you amortize uh, mortgage loans using the financial calculators. If you, have trouble with those calculations i know gary that was something you and i worked a lot on you know we're coming out with more resources uh, i think gary actually you were probably one of the first proponents telling us to get uh you know videos more interactive ways uh to learn about these uh you know pretty difficult calculations and you guys responded i, I thought originally the
2: the the Brandt program was a, li- a little light on the calculator but but you and brendan and, and many others on the team you, you know you took that to heart and you really you really filled in a lot of those holes and um and that, that's good because, because folks, you, you, you need to you need to know your calculator. You do. Definitely. So
0: coming out with more videos all the time, a uh, new one going up this week. Make sure you kind of subscribe to the YouTube page. That way you get notified whenever we come out with a new video. And then uh, if you like what you hear, uh, give us a review on iTunes or whatever you're listening to this podcast. Uh, you know how we can get this uh, podcast in, in front of more students and checking it out. So if you like it, definitely uh, give it a nice review. And if you really like it and you're thinking about getting your CFP designation, uh, feel free to enroll in the Bryant CFP program and you can talk to Mike and I all the time.
1: Right, Mike? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and along those lines, uh, any to any of our listeners and students, um, if you have some ideas on things you think would be helpful to have some type of tutorial video, please send those in just like you send ideas for the podcast. We'd be happy to entertain um your list of of video requests.
0: Yeah, definitely. Especially now that we have videos already for most of the basic stuff, most of the kind of like bread and butter type calculations. Now we're going to start looking into making videos for some of the more complex topics. Mm -hmm. So if there's a topic you want uh, covered uh, sooner rather than later, definitely let us know about it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much guys for joining us. Uh, I had a blast. Hope you guys did too. Uh, And good luck, everyone, with your studies.
1: Talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Gary, for being the guest, and Jerry for another good episode. (laughs)